Today we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus uh, teaching in parables. Why did he teach in parables? And that's what we're going to explore. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at individual parables and how those lessons can be applied to us. Am I amplify? No? Yeah? Oh, okay. I just want to be sure. And, and so... Um, and so we're going to take a look at that and see that because there's a couple of things that we're going to see. Number one, when he spoke in parables, it was for a specific purpose. Not only for the learning of the people, the method of delivery, but also to keep some things from others as well. And we are going to take a look at that. Now, with that being said, before we even open the scriptures and, and look at uh, what Jesus did and the audience that he was working with, I do want us to have a word of prayer. And I don't know about you, but I am in serious need of prayer today. It has been a long, busy past couple of weeks. We have had anywhere from hurricanes to shootouts. And yesterday we had another shootout here in town um, at a yoga class, and some seven or eight people or so are in the hospital. A couple are dead. Uh, yesterday, we had some tornadoes hit the Tampa Bay area, and there's some folks that were displaced. So, I mean, when you're looking at Matthew 24, talking about the contractions that are taking place towards the end times, and we see the contractions closer and closer together, we are seeing some of that. And in moments like this, more than ever, we need to call upon God. And especially now that we're going to open the scriptures, we'll never open them without calling upon Christ Jesus to pour out his spirit. So let us go ahead and pray. Father God, good morning, Lord. And Lord, we, we have in mind the things that are happening in the world around us. Right now, from the natural chaos to some of the madness that is happening where people worshiping in a synagogue or just going to a yoga class, suddenly they're not safe. And Lord, this is something that has always been there, but lately we've been seeing more and more of this. And we just ask, Father God, that you continue to place your hand of protection over the world. We know that in a little time, the, the, the protection and the four winds are going to be let loose. But between now and then, Lord, we just ask for that continued protection. And Lord, now as we're about to gather here and open the scriptures, we dare not do this without calling upon the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Father God, that it be you speaking and not I. And as we discuss this particular topic of teaching parables, how Jesus did it, how he modeled this, in a world that is in dire need of a Savior, Pour out your spirit so that our hearts and minds can be receptive, so that we're able to also follow in the example of Christ Jesus. Bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have this uh, news app. I, I, don't, I don't read newspapers anymore. My mom, my, my, my mom, my wife makes me go get her the Sunday one once in a while for coupons and stuff. But Florida doesn't have so many cool coupons like we do up north. It's like you get, get cheated a little bit. We get better coupons up there. But, but besides on Sundays when I get that one real paper, it's an app, and it kind of lets me know things that are happening. You look around, there's just a lot of disaster, a lot of chaos that is happening in the world around us. And I will tell you this, though. Um, many people say, well, Joey, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? I've gotten some emails. I haven't gotten a chance to reply. And by the way, if you've called me the last couple of weeks, Unless you left a message, you're not getting a return call for me. I have people that sometimes call me, rings once, and they hang up. And you know what? I'm assuming it's an accident. If you leave a message, I'll call you back. Uh, uh, but other than that, I'll, I'll do my best. But I got some emails about shootings and things like that that are happening. You know, 
God and, and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the angels, they're not sitting up there and saying, hmm, did we make a mistake? Things are getting so ugly in there. We're going to need to intervene some way, somehow. The gospel message still remains the same. Everything that has happened and everything that is taking place and the things that are to come, which is going to be even worse, has been predicted throughout the scriptures. Matthew 23 tells us the condition of the so-called hypocritical fake spiritual leaders. Matthew 24 tells us exactly what the world is going to look like, the chaos and the madness that is going to take place. And Matthew 25 describes God's people by referring to them and the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives you some parables in there to illustrate that. Well, regardless of what's coming our way, Regardless of the things that have transpired, we still have a mighty God that we serve. And so I want to share with you something with you from the scriptures because I want you to take a look at the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Now, this is Paul writing to a particular audience. But if you remember Paul, he was saw about three and a half years after Jesus ascended. And it was right around that time period that his ministry began. And for three years he studied and then he dedicated himself to the message. So when Paul is speaking, this is people that were alive when Jesus was there. This was in his time and in his generation. And look how these folks are being described. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1, right in the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 7, and it says the following, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be what? Saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is he writing this to unchurched people? Or is this like five or six, seven generations, Seventh-day Adventists? I get people that love to brag about how many generations they're in. These are Christian people called to be saints. And look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Listen to the audience that he is talking to. I don't know about you and your faith and your reputation, I have never had the greatest reputation, but these people have an amazing faith that has been spoken of throughout where? The whole world, right? Verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I may mention of you always in my prayers. So Paul is talking to them and reaching out to them. I'm praying for you. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Verse 10, making requests is by so means... Now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. Verse 12. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both you and me. This is a wonderful group he's describing, right? I mean, some of you come to church and you come to the elders and the pastor. Pastor, pray for me, elders. I need, you to talk. I need you to lay hands on me. But this is a group of people whose faith is spoken of throughout the world. Amazing people. I'm dying to come to you. I want to hang out with you. And I want our faiths to, to just, you know, we encourage one another mutually, both you and me. All right? Verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. But was hindered until now, that I may have some fruit among you, just as among the other Gentiles. Verse 14, I am a debtor to both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Verse 15, so as much as is in me, 
I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. He is talking here, and I'm reading a lot, and we're going to read a whole lot more, but he is mentioning here all of these wonderful things, a wonderful set of people. He's yearning to be with them, but then he's making some declarations about the gospel message and the power of the message of Christ. In a world like the one we're in today, people are in dire need of a Savior. People need Christ now more than ever. And sometimes we take for granted what comes from Christ himself. And he's making it so eloquently here. Paul was educated. His words are beautiful. If you ever read the, the Bible, like, like in, in, in Greek, in the New Testament, you read the, the Gospels of John and the stuff that John wrote versus Paul. It's a totally different, complicated thing. One uses more like baby talk, and the other one is just eloquent with his words. And this is what Paul is doing here to really present what a mighty God we have. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. So, you know, I had somebody in my church in Crawfordville this morning when I was preaching earlier, and he says to me, Joey, what are we going to do, man? You know, that synagogue got shot up, you know, the other day, and, and here we are, they were just worshiping just like us, and you see, faith, when things are easy, it's not really faith. Faith, even when there is a chance that you may be thrown in the fiery furnace, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that is faith. You know, I love that. Nebuchadnezzar said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pay to your gods that he might save you. You know what? My God can save me. But even if he chooses not to, we will not bow down. That is that faith, and the just shall live by one faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who surpass the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I don't know if you grasp this. Uh, some of you uh, have seen some photos of when I was in Iceland. I've been to many parts of the world, and you can still see the glory of God, even in nature. Our world has been affected in three ways because of sin. First of all, humans. You know, we, we, we are short, bald, ugly, and, you know, we get cut and we get hurt and, you know, that, that kind of thing, right? And, and diseases and infirmities and stuff. Then you have the earth itself, plants and animals that want to eat you. And, 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 you know, and then you have nature outside of the living things, such as, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes that we've just had over the last couple of weeks. All of those things were affected, but even in all of that, you can still see the glory of God in his creation. He still reveals himself to you if you're willing to look and see. Verse, 20, verse 21. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. 23, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in their lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature... Rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I love this text here because it really puts it in reality. You know, many people think that having other gods before God is when you get this little shovy, bald-headed statue and you bow before it. Having other gods before God has nothing to do with bowing down to statues per se. Do you realize that if you put yourself before God, you're also a God before God? If you are saying, God, I know you want this, but I'm going to do my thing my own way, my will, not yours. Suddenly you are going before God, and therefore it is like having other gods before him, especially yourself. You're putting the, cre- the, creature, the creature over the creator, and this is what's happening here. Now, notice how this verse began in chapters, in verse 7 of chapter 1. The chapter began in verse 7 with this whole, you wonderful people, full of faith. You're amazing. Your faith, everybody and their mother talks about how faithful you are. You are great. You're wonderful. But now, the tables are turning saying, but there's still some things that we need to address here. And it's describing a scenery that is not new to us. We should actually be very familiar with it. Let's keep reading on verse 26. Look what it says. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Verse 27. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust for one another, man with man, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, that's right, yeah, preacher brother, give it to them. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to those things which are not fitting. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Yeah, you gossipers out there, not in this church, those other churches, right? Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. See, it's a shame the kids are all on the other side doing children's church because this is when the parents would go, "Mm mm-hmm, are you listening, Right? But how many of you also disobey your parents? You're right up there with murderers and those who like men with men and women with women and all of those things. In the eyes of God, you're guilty of one. You are guilty of them all. Verse 31, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Don't you know that even if you're judging people, you yourself are already guilty? Because in the eyes of God, 
You're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. You break one, you break them all. Now, I, I will tell you that I'm sharing this not so you go and beat each other up because if we start lining up in front of the door and keeping people out who are not worthy to enter, I have to excuse myself and not let anybody else in either. I'm the very first one to be kicked out. We all fall short of the glory of God. So I'm not saying this for you to think, well, wow, ooh, wow. But it's to really think, has anybody in the world that we're in, 2018, has this Bible text not described the world that we're in? People who are full of faith, whose faith is spoken of across the world, and people who are unforgiving, unloving, unmerciful all around, and anywhere in between that. And how was it that Jesus addressed such individuals? The scriptures say that if you ever in doubt on how to treat an unbeliever or someone who is lacking, always go in the side of mercy and grace. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And when he spoke to this audience, people who were doing different things, because he even had, he even had a worse. If there's anything worse than somebody that knows that they're a sinner, it's somebody who thinks that they're a saint. That is the worst thing. Then you ever heard like psychologists saying like the first step to recovery is to recognizing that you need help? You know, admitting that you have a problem. Well, you know, he was struggling with people that were way too holy even for him. You know, they were saying, well, he, he definitely cannot be the son of God. How dare he do this or that or heal on this day or do this the other way? Why? Because they struggle with Jesus because the Jesus that came wasn't the Jesus that they were expecting. And when Jesus started preaching love, mercy, forgiveness, they wanted to kill him. By the way, that's one of the reasons why he preached in parables, so that some can hear and understand and so that not, some could not. And he did that deliberately so that he wasn't killed or crucified too early into his ministry. The time wasn't yet there. And that was one of the reasons. Now, I do want to share with you another reason from Christ's Object Lessons, page 20. Because it is something that we often neglect as well. Jesus desired to awaken inquiry. He sought to arouse the careless and impress truth upon the heart. Parable teaching was popular... And commanded the respect and attention, not only of the Jews, but of the people of other nations. No more effective method of instruction could he have employed. If the hearers had a desire of knowledge of divine things, they might have understood his words. For he was always willing to explain them to the honest inquirer. And so parable teaching at the time of Jesus was what was popular. And Jesus chose a popular method to deliver the same message. Next week, I'm going to be talking to you guys about the parable of the sower. And one thing that you understand about that parable or will understand is that the sower is Jesus. And the seed that is being planted is the word of God. The sower and the seed remains the same. Who receives it is what makes the difference. Jesus never changed the fact that he was a sower, and he never changed his word, but his method of delivery was adjusted in accordance to what was popular at the time. And so I'm bringing this up before we get to Matthew 13. I'm bringing this up, and here's the reason why. The next board meeting that we're having, and I want to tell you what was something that's happening here with, with the leadership in the church, and I want you to pray for this. We are at a world right now where we're in dire need of a Savior. Sometimes in churches, we confuse busyness. We confuse busyness. We confuse that with being effective. 
We confuse the, the pews being filled by people to being a healthy, growing church. Just because we all show up at the same time for the same hours to listen to the same thing doesn't mean that we're necessarily a healthy church either. Sometimes some of us confuse uniformity for unity. In the Tower of Babel, you had a group of people building together for one purpose, for one thing. If a flood ever came again, we're going to be high and mighty above the waters. We're going to save ourselves. The Lord confused their languages, and they all left. That's uniformity, not unity. My wife and I love her to death. If suddenly tomorrow morning I wake up speaking a whole different language and we can't understand each other, we will find a way. We will do some, some signals and signs. We will do some things to, you know, whatever we need to. But I'm not just going to say, well, I don't understand you. It was nice knowing you. Adios. I mean, and that's what they did. Unity and uniformity is two things. You guys are a bad look away from leaving the church. Somebody looks like, hmm. Too serious or or, or lack of a smile? Do not confuse busyness for healthiness. And so please pray for the leadership of this church because over the next couple of weeks, especially when we meet with the board, we're going to be really revisiting how we're doing ministry and are we really being effective. What is it that we can do to really better serve our community, to really be extensions of Christ, to really be a manifestation of the body of Christ, Christ being the head and you being the body? Are we reaching people? Are we touching people? Are we healing people? Are we giving people the Christ that they need or only the Christ that we want to gift them? And there's a difference between giving people what they need and what we want to gift them. You know, when we were over at the... um, we have been the past couple of weeks, and by the way, thank you so much. I don't know if it was as many times as I mentioned it in the sermon, but I actually had to tell people, no, we got enough help. Thank you so much for offering to help. We had a lot of people that came out to help, but we helped in three fronts. We gave food, we helped clean up, and we provided hot meals as well for the workers and everything there. We fed hundreds every day. It turned out wonderfully. And we were there, and we were able to assist them in that capacity. When they're there, when they're cold, when they're hungry, they don't, need, they don't care about the 2300-day prophecy. They don't care about Daniel and Revelation and whether or not you ought to wear a suit or not to church. They, they, I'm hungry. Feed me. And Auntie Ellen says that the Savior, that his method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men. He, he, he mingled with men. Um, he, he ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. And then he said, follow me. And not only did he mingle with them, but he mingled with them as one who desired their own good. How many of us have relationships of convenience? How many of us hang out with people just because it's beneficial for us? And the minute that it gets uncomfortable or touchy in any way, we're done putting all of the effort that we need to put in there. Is that what we are called to do? And I want you to think about that and pray for that. Because I really do not want us to play church. I have three churches, and, you know, this morning I ran to here, and I almost gave the elder a heart attack because if I didn't show up, he was going to have to preach, you know, and and, and is there, and I run around. I am busy enough to fluff my way through my term here in ministry. Pastors in Florida Conference roughly average seven to ten years, most of them. I know Tallahassee, your pastors left like every year and a half for like three or four times in a row, but, but usually they average seven to ten years. So I could just fluff my way until I finish in the conference. Now look, I'm running church to church, and I got three different board meetings, and three, you know, and I can do that, but I'm not here to play church. 
And I don't want you to be here to just be a bench warmer. We need to do a whole lot more than that. And by doing a whole lot more than that, we need to really rethink where it is that we're headed. So I'm saying this again. Please pray for the leadership. Also, don't be offended if we come back and we're saying, well, we're going to eliminate this ministry or this ministry or that ministry. And we're going to do, instead of serving 30 different meals and they all taste nasty, I'm just going to be a hot dog stand and that hot dog is going to be banging. You know, so, so maybe as a church, when it, it'll be veggie, hot dog, you know, and whatever. You know, throw some leaves and feathers in there. No, not feathers, that's meat. But, you know, whatever. The point is, is that the, the idea is that we may need to really revisit how it is that we're doing ministry. Are we being effective or are just we keeping ourselves busy? Well, our church member is saying, well, you know what? You know, Ace, I can come to your thing tonight because I'm too busy doing my thing and I'm too tired from the other thing that I did for Kevin last week. So I'm just going to hand back home tonight and rest and not show up to that thing with the thing with the thing because my thing just kept me busy. You know, like, like we are suddenly keeping ourselves busy, but are we really making a change? And I ask you this question again. If we were to close our doors, would this community miss us? And so we're going to be revamping, we're going to be rethinking, we're going to be readdressing, and it's going to be so hard. And also some of you are going to beat me up. I still got people that beat me up because that pulpit is sitting over there. Pastor, why is the pulpit in the corner? God forbid we change something that is traditional. Back in the day, all they did was stood up in a bucket so people can hear them. I got a whole thing up here without having to have that thing up here. And it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's not a matter of salvation whether it is up here or not, whether it covers the rest of my body or not. It might be pleasing to your eyes if I'm all covered up, and I get that. But, you know, it's, these are the things that I still get shocked when I hear some of that. And it has nothing to do with the advancement of the gospel. We're going to work on moving forward with prayer. Now, when it comes to... Going back to Jesus teaching in parables, he did what was needed and what was popular at the time. This is right from the spirit of prophecy, Christ's object lessons. But also, he did it, as I mentioned earlier, so that others could understand and others could not because of what was happening there. But one thing that he does not deny is that if you're honest and sincere and you want to understand, you seek and you will find. So feel free to ask him. Let's go to Matthew 13. Here you have the disciples trying to ask this question. How is this happening? What is going on? And look what it does. Matthew 13, verse 10. And it says the following. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11. And he answered and said to them, Because he has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Verse 12, for whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even he that has will be taken away from him. Even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor they do understand. Verse 14, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says... Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Verse 15, for the hearts of his people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I shall heal them. Some people have hardened themselves so much to the word of God to the things that are out there, that they're no longer listening to it. 
Do you remember last week when I gave you the example of the little beeping smoke detector? Beep, beep. And how I just grew dull and I couldn't hear it anymore. You know, some of us do that at times and we, we shut off our minds to these different things. And we have done that. But if you want to, come to Jesus and he will give you healing. Come to Jesus and he will open your eyes. Come to Jesus and he will open your ears and you will be able to understand. If there's ever a passage in scripture that he said, this is just too hard. Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit and clarity will come to you. You will be able to understand. Now, when Jesus spoke in parables for two reasons, it was what was popular at the time. He had a tendency of doing this. To the shepherd, he spoke to them as shepherds of men. To the fishermen, he spoke to them as fishers of men. Parable was the thing. He spoke in parables. And not once did he speak to them going outside of parables. He was very clear, but he also interpreted for them. But then not only did he do this, he dealt with the core issues. Let me tell you this. Many people that came to eat, for, you know, to eat with us, the hot meals that we were serving this past week, they weren't dressed like most church people. They didn't look like most church people. And so was it time to give them a lecture on attire or was it time to feed them? You know, was it time to really meet the needs? Look at one example of one of the parables of Jesus, how simple, how basic, but how crucial it is. And although this is basic and simple, some of you may dress the part, some of you will keep the Sabbath, but yet you still stink at doing what this parable is talking about. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. Matthew chapter 6, 28, it says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. 29, And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the, into the oven, he Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 32. For after thee, all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that. You don't need to tell him. Verse 33. But seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. You know, my wife and I, we have a very interesting relationship because she's a night owl and I'm a morning guy. Sometimes in the morning I have to duck because she may not be so happy of how excited and energetic I am. You're too happy for me. And, you know, tossing stuff or whatever. But, you know, she's one of them. She's up, she's up at night, and I'm a bright and early in the morning just wired, like if I had a lot of caffeine. But it's vegetarian, so it's okay, and it was no caffeine. But, you know, I'm sitting there like, ah. And so, and so what happens is that when we have serious conversations and things like that, we try to talk during the day. Because at nighttime, I'm just, I'm just too tired. My mind is just, I'm loopy or whatever. And during the morning, she's groggy and sleepy. So we, we talk during the day about real issues, that we, whatever we need to discuss. You know? uh, but sometimes, she'll come to me in the evening. It's not a serious issue. But she'll come and say, oh, you know, pray for my cousin. This is happening. Oh, my sister did this. Or my mom did that. Or this happened there. Or whatever. I was like, honey, 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 I got enough things to, to worry about. <laughs> Then, then to deal with your side of the family and that part of the state of New Jersey, we're just going to, 
can we just talk in the morning, please? I'm just, ah, I got enough to worry about all of that extra stuff. I, I don't need good gossip and good problems. As a pastor, I get it all, you know, so I don't need extra and, and extra troubles and extra burdens. And guess what? As we live, tomorrow has its own worries. Tomorrow has its own problems in itself. Worried about today and don't even worry about today, but really, really seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else will be added onto you. I really, really struggle when we pray and we don't do it in faith. Have you ever flown with someone who is afraid of flying? I got stuck on a fly back from Africa 16 hours with an individual who was afraid, who was a Christian, who was part of our denomination, and I won't mention the names because the Adventist world is a small world, but let's just say that I almost lost my Jesus on that plane because, you know, every time, you know, we're, we're going to pray, Father God, you know I'm afraid, but we're going to put this plane in your hands. You're going to get us there safe and sound. Everything is going to be okay, and we trust you. You will never leave us nor forsake us, and you put my tears in your bottles, and it's a lot of them right now. You can see them, and it's there, and they pray, Amen, glory, hallelujah. And as soon as the plane goes through, grabbing me and squeezing me. And sometimes I was sleeping. It's like, don't, 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 don't do that. You know? It's, uh, what are you doing? You know, we're in the middle seat of five. He's next to me. People are next to me. And when I finally fell asleep through the babies, through the smell, through the things, you're going to grip me up and squeeze me and wake me up. And it's like, come on. And, and, and so we, we do that. Didn't you just give the plane to God? You know, at that point, there's nothing there but just sit for the ride. You know, some of us, we struggle with our finances, and we pray to God, Father God, I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent next week. Please pray, you know, whatever. Bless me, keep me. I trust you. I know we'll be okay. And then after they say, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so um, if, I borrow, if I borrow from Peter and, and Rob Paul, maybe Lucas, you know, I don't know, somebody, what, what can I do? And you still, Why is it that you're trying to figure it out? While you're trying to figure it out, he's already working it out. You must trust in him and rely on him. Truly give it to him. And so this type of parables that Jesus gave is something that whether you're rich or poor, it touches the heart. He found a way to very simply talk to everyone. Whether you're educated or not, whether you have 30 degrees or you don't even have a high school diploma, the words of Jesus are crucial, beneficial, important, and for every single person. They do matter. They are relevant. The word of God has never changed. The good news and the gospel message is still good news, and it is still the gospel message. This is just one example of one of the parables. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll take a look at some. But your job and your focus is to find a way. And I don't want you to cringe at the idea of popularity. What I'm saying is that you need to catch up with the century that we're in and speak to people in a manner that they understand. If they're shepherds, make them shepherds of men. If they're fishermen, make them fishers of men. How do I look like if I try to tell my son... You know, uh, that back in the day, uh, there was a phone that you needed to turn the numbers to call people. You know, those rotary phones. Remember when you call, if you have a rotary phone, wait on the line. If you have a touch-tone phone, press 1 or press 2 or whatever the case may be. You know what? If I try to give him an analogy with the rotary phone and how it was to go, 
You guys, you're dating yourself, Miss Tesla. Yeah, you see? And, and so, so some of you know what I'm talking about. I cannot use a rotary phone analogy when we are in a cell phone era. I need to talk to him cell phone stuff to, to explain to him the simple things of life and what a mighty and wonderful Savior we have. Jesus used a lot of crops and, and he used a lot of our sowing and a lot of things like that because that was popular at the time. You know, I went to Puerto Rico. And in the farm that I grew up, it's a whole bunch of houses. And the, the only farming that they do now is go to the local store and go in the fridge and grab milk instead of milking a cow. And they'll go to the produce aisles and pick from there. And it's like, what is it? Times have changed. Our word, our message should not change. But the delivery perhaps needs to be looked back at to see how can we speak a language that people can understand. Perhaps if we use an analogy that they can relate to that they know who these folks are. You know, you can't just quote Winston Churchill or say something like that and say, who is that? You know, maybe you need to say something a little bit different and maybe they will understand. But this is what Jesus did. And remember, it is not your job to change people. It is your job to teach them about Jesus. And it is the job of the Holy Spirit to create transformation and growth in their life. Last two texts for today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. You may hear it every time I do a baby dedication. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Always keep the word of God here. If the word of God was always here, oh boy, how we would treat our neighbors a whole lot different than what we do sometimes. How we forgive our children or our brothers and our sisters a whole lot quicker than what we do sometimes. Some of us still haven't forgiven them. You know, imagine how we were if we were to keep the teachings of Christ daily in our lives. When we walk, when we wake up, before we go to bed, all around. And Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by whom? The Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. Introduce people to the Savior. We are in dire need. And let Jesus do what he does best. He is in the life-saving business. He is dying for you to give in your heart. And he literally died for our sins. May the Lord bless you and keep you.